Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, April 8th, 2022. And these are the top true crime stories from around the world. Brought to you by me, James Renner. Ding! Hey, CrimeCon is just around the corner. It's at the end of the month. It's in Vegas. I've talked about this already. If you haven't gotten your tickets, I think there's still a little bit of time. You can use my code TPOC22. That stands for The Philosophy of Crime. My other podcast, TPOC22, to get a, a, a sweet discount on those tickets. And also, there's more CrimeCon news. CrimeCon London, UK, is coming up in June. That code still works for that as well. And they just announced CrimeCon Glasgow, Scotland, in September. So if you're out that way, if you're across the pond... Come see me. We'll hang out. We'll do Scotland. We'll do London. TPOC22 for the discount code. Uh, there's some crazy news this week. The top story, I can't believe I'm doing this. I didn't think I'd ever do this. But we have to. We have to talk this week about Hunter Biden's laptop. As you know... I am, if you've listened to the show before, you've probably figured out already, I'm a, I'm a liberal, very progressive, slightly Marxist. So, like a lot of you, when I first heard the story about Hunter Biden's laptop and what might be on it, I really thought this was a hoax. I thought, or if not a hoax, something less than they were making it out to be. But then last week, the Washington Post released an analysis. They had some computer experts. They paid one. They did a deep dive into a copy of Hunter Biden's hard drive. And their analysis shows, and the New York Times confirms as well, 
that we were wrong, uh, that it looks as though the majority of what was on that hard drive is legit. These are legit emails back and forth from Hunter Biden or somebody using his account. It looks like this might be legit after all. And, you know, I think you know, as a liberal, we shouldn't be hypocrites. We, when we do something wrong, we talk about their shortcomings as much as if they were conservative or Republican. We're here for the truth, for the news, not any sort of slanted agenda, unless we're talking about gun control. <laughs> uh, so we got to talk about this because it's a real thing now. So if you're just getting up to speed, if you're one of those liberals that did not read this story, like me, from the very beginning, we got to catch up. So here we go. And this strikes me, the way this story starts, reminds me of that Stephen King quote, great events turn on small hinges, because the story starts small and then gets very big very quickly. Story begins on April 12th, 2019, when a seemingly inebriated Hunter Biden brought his laptop computer into the Mac Shop Computer Repair Store in Wilmington, Delaware. The guy that ran that Mac shop, his name's Mac. He's a Mac with a Mac shop. Mac Isaac is the guy's name. Hunter allegedly brought this laptop in and asked him to recover data from the laptop because it had been damaged by some sort of liquid. And what Mac Isaac would do is he was able to boot up the laptop and would stay on for a little while, and he would transfer some files, few at a time, then the computer would shut down again and he'd have to restart it. Very tedious process. Once it was done, he tried to contact Hunter Biden, who had signed a repair order. And he never responded. And after a while, after several attempts to get to Hunter Biden, have him pay for this, have him get these files, uh, Mac Isaac considered this abandoned property. The laptop was now his. Now, flash forward a little bit. I don't know if you remember much. So much has happened in the last couple of years, but this is July 2019. And that guy, crazy guy in New York, Giuliani, was trying to make a big deal about Hunter's business dealings in Ukraine. Hunter Biden sat on a board of directors at an energy group in, in Ukraine. They were trying to allege some nefarious activities there. Giuliani was trying to make it a big deal. It just didn't catch on. And when my, Mac Isaac saw this in the news, he contacted the FBI because he, he saw some of these emails referenced Ukraine. Contacted the FBI about the MacBook. That was in July of 2019. The FBI did not really respond until December 9th, 2019, several, like six months later, five months later, when they served a subpoena for the laptop, the hard drive, and all paperwork concerned with that laptop from that business. Isaac, as, as I would have done in that situation, you're dealing with some big people here. He made a copy of everything. He made a copy of the hard drive as a little bit of insurance in case anything went wrong. A couple months later, Trump's first impeachment trial begins... 
January 2020. Again, uh, Mac Isaac tries to contact members of Congress saying, hey, I've got this laptop. It's got all this supposed evidence on it. What kind of evidence? We're, we're going to get there. It's, it's crazy stuff. Uh, none of the members of Congress replied. Giuliani, Giuliani's attorney, Robert Costello, though, responded. Of course they did. And eventually a guy named Jack Maxey gets involved. He becomes kind of a li- liaison for those files. He's got a copy of the hard drive now. And he's the one that starts distributing it out to media outlets because he knows the media. Why? Who's Jack Maxey? Maxey was a co-host of the podcast The War Room. His co-host was Stephen Bannon, who was like Trump's right-hand man for a while. Now, the Daily Mail was given a copy of the hard drive and the files therein. The Daily Mail, if you don't know, it's, it's kind of like the UK's equivalent of the New York Post. It's kind of um, tabloidy, putting it nicely. The Daily Mail has been publishing details about what was in what was on that hard drive for a while. And the Democrats came out very early on, said this was the work of Russian hackers. This wasn't true. It was propaganda. And so a lot of the media didn't cover this. And then just last week, March 30th, Washington Post verified in a report that much of this is seems to be legit. The conclusion of their computer analysts, I'm going to quote here, quote, thousands of emails purportedly from the laptop computer of Hunter Biden are authentic communications that can be verified through cryptographic signatures from Google and other tech companies. On this hard drive are 129,000 emails, 36,000 photos, 1,300 videos, and thousands of chat logs. These emails include uh, uh, details about a deal Hunter was developing with a Chinese energy firm. There's also a lot about his relationship with a Ukraine energy firm called Burisma. You might have heard that trumpeted by the Republican outlets. They tried to make a big deal connecting him with Burisma. Well, Hunter Biden was sitting on the board of Burisma. This is a Ukraine energy company earning $50,000 a month. Doing what? This is the question we should be asking. We should have been asking this a long time ago. Now, there's nothing illegal about him sitting on the board, him having business with Ukraine energy firms, Chinese energy firms, but certainly it's starting to have the appearance of impropriety. But wait, there's more. So much more. Because in one exchange, during one of these deals, there's a reference to the big guy. A lot of people take that to mean Biden himself getting a cut of the deal, 10%. That would be a big problem, if true. This uh, Ukraine energy guy in one email thanks Hunter for introducing him to his father, the president, Joe Biden. So far, the Washington Post and the New York Times, other media outlets, have erred on the side of caution regarding the more salacious details of what's on that laptop. The Daily Mail, not so much. 
The mail received and reviewed a copy of the hard drive and had their own experts verify, just like the Washington Post did. And they stand by the rest of what's on that laptop, the rest of what's on that hard drive. They say it's all legit. And what they have published are photos of Hunter Biden with a crack pipe in his mouth. He's sleeping at the time. A picture of him half nude pulling a woman's hair on a bed. You know, nothing wrong with what you do in your in your spare time, but there might be something to that picture I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, there's another picture of him getting his teeth examined at a dentist, and his teeth are all jacked up. They look like meth teeth. Maybe it's some sort of genetic condition, but when things start to add up, uh, they this seems to only be going one way. There is evidence in the, in the statements, in these emails, that Hunter Biden shared bank accounts with his father, Joe Biden. Whether, whether on accident, you know, whether it was just something that happened or, or, or what, we don't know. Um, also, inside some of these text messages, you see Hunter Biden's prolific use of the N-word which certainly paints his character and a picture. There are also texts showing Hunter allegedly overpaid a hooker $25,000 at the Chateau Marmont in L.A. Secret Service agents allegedly actually showed up at the hotel to let him know, hey, buddy, <laughs> the, the credit card that you just gave that escort $25,000 from, uh, it's, it's also in your father's name. There's more laptops, too. There's a second laptop allegedly seized by the, the feds uh, after the first laptop was found. And a third laptop was allegedly taken by Russian drug dealers after a party in Vegas. There's video from that encounter, which includes conversation with somebody that appears to be a prostitute. And there's claims that the Russian drug dealers took the laptop this is according to the Daily Mail, while Biden was very close to overdosing. CNN reported on the same day, that's March 30th, the same day that the Washington Post verification came out, that Hunter Biden was being investigated by the FBI for money laundering, violating foreign lobbying laws, as well as firearm counts and, and other stuff. Now, this is some, this is, this is serious at, the, at this point, uh, I it looks as though Hunter Biden is in some serious legal trouble. And a lot of what's on that hard drive seems to be legit, seems to have been verified. So maybe, maybe it's all legit. Even if somehow Hunter Biden's business dealings were on the level, even if his connections to his father's accounts were accidental, this is giving him a huge benefit of the doubt here. Even if all that's true, it's clear at this point that Hunter Biden is a huge liability for the leader of the free world. He's compromised, he's exposed, and he's very, very desperate at this point. That makes him a prime target for blackmail if it hasn't happened already. That's what they look for. They look for any sort of compromised person close to who you need to make decisions in your favor. Not saying any of that's happened, but it certainly makes him a target. 
Mac Isaac. Remember him? He's the he's the guy that got the laptop in the first place. Uh, he's he's been targeted. He says by the IRS. He's about to file for bankruptcy. He's he's received death threats. Uh, Jack Maxey is currently hiding out in Switzerland, and he says he has eighty thousand more deleted images and files that he recovered from the laptop that nobody else has seen. He's scared, he says, what might happen to him. So he's hiding out in Switzerland until things get better. This all reminds me, if you're, West, you're, if you're fans of the West Wing, this reminds me of that storyline where Zoe Bartlett, the president's daughter, is kidnapped. This is at the end of season four, which was actually the last episode that Aaron Sorkin wrote. He got in some trouble, uh, got off a plane with some mushrooms in his pocket or something like that. And he left, and somebody picked it up in the fifth season. But um, there's that first episode in the fifth season where Zoe Bartlett's still missing. And Jed Bartlett decides to give up the presidency and let his political rival actually take over until Zoe's found because he knows he's compromised. He can't make legitimate decisions because his daughter is in peril. She's in serious trouble. This this is very... Very similar to that. Um, so I think this, this story is just going to get bigger. Now that some of this has been verified, please check it out. Look into it. Make your own decisions. But try not to make them based on any political bent. Because this strikes me as a big story at this point. And a huge crime. with With many other crimes surrounding it. So... Put that on your radar. There's a uh, interesting story about a mob mob hitman. It's a 64 year old mob hitman who went on the run last week. He's already been caught. Don't worry, he's not out there. 64 year old guy thought he could beat the uh, the law and hide from marshals. Didn't work out so well. But the details are really bizarre because he was scheduled to go free in less than a year. He'd be free this time next year. And, and he was already kind of out of prison. Let, let, me, let me back up a little bit and give you the whole thing. The guy's name is Dominic Tadeo. He was a hitman for the mob that was operating out of Rochester, New York in the 70s and 80s, according to the New York Times. Tadeo had con- multiple convictions for assault, conspiracy, conspiracy to, to distribute controlled substances, possession of machine guns. He was in, he was deep for trouble, began getting in trouble with the law at age 16, started working for the mob. This all led to Tadeo murdering three men for the mafia in the 80s. He admitted to the crimes in 1992. And he also admitted to trying to kill the mob boss, Thomas Murata, twice, not succeeding. Uh, he was in trouble... He got in a little trouble in 1987, too, and he skipped bail, disappeared for two years, so he's done this before. And it's interesting to read the story from the New York Times on this, and, and look it up if you can, because it shows some early pictures of Dominic Tadeo when they covered him back in the 80s. He was kind of a nice-looking guy, kind of a rough guy, but, um, you know, and they made a point to say he was handsome. And in this latest, in this latest article, the Times goes out of their way to call him Doughy. 
Like, hey, look at this, look at this 64-year-old doughy guy. Which I thought was kind of mean. Uh, Tadeo was living in a halfway house. He was he was halfway out of prison. Just living in a house. He went to a scheduled doctor's appointment a couple weeks ago, never returned. Marshall's caught up with him on Monday in uh, Hialeah, Florida. Not too far from where he disappeared. And this all begs the question, like, why? He, was, he had served decades in prison. Less than a year to go. Why'd he run? Was he mental? Some people wondered if he was uh, scared of retaliation from another, you know, other mob hitmen after him if he waited out his time and just had to run. I wonder, maybe he wasn't a little bit like uh, Brooks from the Shawshank Redemption, you know? Been in prison so long he didn't want to leave, so he did something stupid to go back in. Looks like he's going to get his wish. He was indicted yesterday for the escape, and he's facing an additional five years in prison. Maybe they'll have a welcome back party for him. Last story is out of Switzerland. Um, not sure. How, it's such a political episode. I didn't mean it to be. But we're going to talk about another uh, big political issue, assisted suicide, which is illegal in the United States still, mostly. This, uh, so Yahoo News is reporting on the death of two sisters. These details just made public this week. This involves 54-year-old Lila Amori and her sister, 49-year-old Susan Frazier from Arizona. Now, the sisters were reported missing. They went missing back in February. They were uh, recently found to have died in Switzerland together at a high-priced suicide clinic. Source close to the family said they don't believe it because the sisters, they say, had just bought new luggage, new clothes. They had their eyelashes done. Celebrated with champagne at the airport lounge, according to the Daily Beast. Why would you do that if you're going to commit suicide? Neither woman had a terminal illness. Records, though, show that they each paid more than $11,000 for an appointment with the Pegasus Voluntary Assisted Dying Clinic in Basel, Switzerland. That's one of three clinics where it's legal to end your life quietly and painlessly. The president of Pegasus Clinic, a guy named Rudy Habager, Habager, let's call him Habager, sounds right. Uh, the, the president says he was there at their deaths. He confirmed it and said the sisters were very comfortable with their decision. Sisters had told a friend that they were going to Dubai on holiday and instead flew into Basel, Switzerland. They didn't board their flight home February 13th, didn't show up for work February 15th, and were reported missing. Both worked in healthcare at Aetna. Strange details, though. Here's one strange detail. Uh, Amori, the older sister, uh, she'd taken her work computer with her, which suggests that maybe she wasn't entirely sure if she'd return or not. And then there was a February 9th message that she wrote to her employer saying she'd be back soon. That immediately reminds me of the Moore Murray case, right? Especially given the fact that it happened February 9th. I know that's a coincidence. I'm not going to read too much into it. 
But Moore Murray, on February 9, 2004, emailed her professors, said, Hey, uh, I'm going away. There's been a death in the family. Also a lie. I'll, I'll be back soon. Some people to this day think Moore Murray drove up into the White Mountains com to commit suicide. Um, so it's odd that the similarities there, this, uh, this lying email about maybe returning. Uh, now, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that are popping up about this. Did they, you know, is this all legit? Uh, some believe that maybe one of the sisters had a secret illness. Others wonder were they tricked into the dark organ trade. I'm going to say that's probably not what happened. Assisted suicide is a crime in America, but should it be? One of the family members of these, these sisters, or a close friend anyways, um, said it might be Swiss law, but these are Americans. I don't, I don't think that's going to hold up. I, think it's, I, th I don't think there's any legal repercussions that could happen here. Um, but it, it begs the question, should this be legal? Is this If they really did go out there to commit suicide together, which seems to me the more likely of the outcomes that it was that and not something more nefarious. Um, I don't know. Is that okay? It's their decision. You know, we all find ourselves in this absurd world, full of tragedy, full of trauma, and lots of good stuff too. Like, you know, there's nothing like uh, what could happen tomorrow. You know, I, I often wonder, you know, about these dark things. And I'm like, well, you know, tomorrow <laughs> something awesome might happen. You know, tomorrow might be the day that we make contact with some other civilization out there in the cosmos. Tomorrow might be the day somebody cures cancer or or, or your, your kids do something wonderful. So, um, but if you're into philosophy, this is all about Camus and the myth of Sisyphus. And um, read it if you, if you haven't. Uh, but Camus came to the conclusion a long time ago that in this absurd world, intelligent people eventually come to the decision that they either have to kill themselves or they have to revolt against the absurdity of this world. And those are the decisions. And sometimes revolting is, is, is scarier than the other option, which is to just end it. Um, so big ideas on today's episodes. Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email or something. Um, very easy to get a hold of, jamesrenner.com, all my contacts in there. So those are the top stories. Holy cow. Uh, let's take a break. I need one. I'll be back in two and two with uh, some updates and cold cases. There's been a conclusion in the Larry Ray case. Lots more to talk about. Be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And welcome back to Give Me a Break. Starring Nell Carter. Some cold case updates for you. Remember that Larry Ray case out of New York? Let me uh, bring you up to speed. This was just in the last week or the week before. Larry Ray was that creepazoid, remember, who moved into his daughter's dorm at St. Lawrence College in 2010, sleeping on the floor with her roommates, and he, he pretended to be a self-help guru. Slow, or quickly, anyways. He quickly took control over all those young women's lives, dictating when they ate, when they slept. He had them sit in a, on a chair in a circle and admit to their worst, deepest, darkest secrets. And then he'd use those secrets to extort them for hundreds of thousands of dollars. He pressured one young woman into prostitution in order to pay him. He was in a relationship with another woman, forced her to uh, have sex with strangers. Now, uh... Everything finally caught up with him, and on Wednesday this week, a jury in a federal district court in Manhattan found Lawrence Ray guilty on all 15 federal counts, according to the New York Times. These charges included extortion, sex trafficking, racketeering. The forewoman got to announce it, too, right to his face. Ray remained silent. This was only after four hours of deliberation. Like, it's probably just enough time for them to order order a pizza, kind of laugh about the whole thing um, and what would happen to him. Not the details of, of what these women went through, but, you know, they knew justice was coming. They should celebrate that a little bit. A little pizza, some beers. The sex trafficking charge alone has a mandatory minimum of 15 years to life. So Ray's going away. Genetic genealogy news. Got two stories for you this week. First is... There's a new serial killer who was ID'd and finally caught thanks to genetic genealogy. He was known as the I-65 killer, responsible for the deaths of three women, all hotel clerks, who were murdered at hotels along I-65 in Indiana and Kentucky in the late 1980s. Victims' names were Vicki Heath, Margaret Gill, and Jean Gilbert. He's also connected to a sexual assault in Columbus, Indiana in 1990 through DNA. Police said a DNA match made through close a close family member matched up with him with a 99.99% probability, according to USA Today. The killer, the serial killer, has been ID'd as one Harry Edward Greenwell, 
So if you know him, if you have any more information about this guy, now's the time to go to police. Harry Edward Greenwell. He died of cancer in 2013 at the age of 68. Sometimes with these guys, it's a race between cancer and justice. And a lot of times cancer ends up winning. Uh, Harry Greenwell was in and out of jail since he was a kid for armed robbery and sodomy. He escaped twice, caught both times, released again in 1983, just before the murders. It's believed he could be responsible for many more unsolved cases. They're still investigating. And here's a quote from Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter. Quote, There are detectives in this very room that have been involved in this in some form or another for literary, liter, I'm sorry, for literally generations. Generations they worked on this. And he says, I hope today might bring a little bit of solace to know that the animal who did this is no longer on this earth. Yes, indeed. Uh, the second case is a testament to the changing world of cold case homicide investigation. Very cool. This inverse involves the murder of Roxanne Wood, who was killed in 1987 at the age of 30. This case from Niles, Michigan. On February 20th, 1987, Roxanne Wood went bowling with her husband, as you do. They played uh, some games. They went to the bar, had some brews. Then Roxanne decided to go home. They had driven separately for some reason. She went home around midnight, and her husband came home 45 minutes later to discover his wife dead in the kitchen after being sexually assaulted. No sign of forced entry, so of course... The husband was the prime suspect for many years, but he always denied it. DNA they found at the crime scene didn't match the husband, thank God. Now that DNA was recently submitted to labs, state labs, and then off to the data went off to Identifinders International, a friend of the show, for genetic genealogy. Meanwhile, it was a group of students at Western Michigan University who was in charge of Reviewing all the data and evidence in the case, working closely with the genealogists, this group of students out of Western Michigan U. This, it's this new program where they're training these doctoral students uh, in, in criminology. They're, they're training them uh, through all these, these uh, how the police work and how genetic genealogy works. It's, it's wonderful. Um, specifically, it's a new program to lighten the caseload of state police. S these students from Western Michigan U, put in over 1,200, 1,200 hours of work, according to Big Rapids News. And all this work led to a new suspect, 67-year-old Patrick Gilham. Police staked out his house once they pointed the police in that direction, waited until he got rid of a cigarette, sent the cigarette to the lab, ding, 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 DNA match. They had him. When arrested, Gilham admitted to killing Roxanne, and he accepted a plea deal that puts him in prison for the remainder of his life. Now, I've said it before, but if you're out there and you're listening and you've committed a, a crime, a homicide, a rape, and you've done this in the last 30 years, you, you should really, seriously, get yourself a lawyer and turn yourself in. Because you're going to be caught. At, at this point, it's just a matter of time. That's how, that's how good genetic genealogy is. If there's DNA at a crime scene, eventually the answer will be known. So, you know, cut your deal now instead of waiting for them to knock at your door. 
Here's a strange crime story for this week. Not not specifically out of Reddit, though I, I think I did see it pop up there. Sometime around 2001, somebody stole two priceless books from the library at Cambridge University. Not just any books, but priceless books. Why are they priceless? Because they were two notebooks of Charles Darwin, who came up with the uh, theory of evolution. And included in one of these books was a sketch, his first sketch of the Tree of Life, that shows how species diverge. These are from books from 1837. Now, just last week or the week before, a librarian working at Cambridge University found a present sitting on, a, I think, a table there. There's a present wrapped in pink paper with an envelope. And inside that envelope was a note that said, Librarian, Happy Easter, signed X. Once they opened up the present, inside were the two missing books. Who had them? Why'd they take them? Why'd they return them? That's the question for Cambridge University, who has a decision right now. Do they let the mystery be? Do they just let bygones be bygones? Or are they going to use the security footage from the library to try and figure out who it was, who left it? Personally, I like the mystery. And just, you know, you got the books, let them go. It's a library book. Come on. Pop culture news. There's a new three-part HBO true crime docu-series called Invisible Pilot. You might want to check out. This is the story of an Arkansas crop duster named Gary Betzner. He was known for his unparalleled skills. And as he was crop dusting... He would do flips and fly under bridges and skim lakes. One of the best pilots ever. So good, in fact, he decided he was going to start smuggling marijuana for some local drug dealers in and out. And and then once that got boring, he switched to cocaine. He got busted by the DA, DEA uh, back then. And he was facing 20 years in prison. So what did he do? He decided to fake his own suicide in front of his wife. They stopped on a bridge, he acted like the car had trouble, and then he just jumped off the bridge in front of her. Now, he, to make sure she believed the story, this is crazy, he had her take, he took her to have a hypnosis course so that he could program her into believing he really was dead when he jumped. He disappeared for a while, ended up living at a nudist hippie resort in, uh, Hawaii got involved there with Pablo Escobar's drug cartel. Soon enough, he was transporting guns to the Contras, returning with kilos of cocaine to the United States. He was part of that Iran-Contra affair in the 80s. And he got caught. He was used by the CIA. They kind of left him to rot in jail. He's kind of upset about it. That's what the documentary series is about. Very... Intricate, complicated little story about this wild guy. Check it out. Uh, let's check the charts real quick. These are the top true crime podcasts according to the chartable.com. That takes, uh, I don't know how they come up with these. They probably just have the algorithms that searches how many times you download these things. Anyways, at number one is Very Scary People. It's a podcast about the real life crime that inspired the Amity. Ville horror movies, which scared the bejesus out of me as a kid. At number seven, 
this week from Audio Chuck, the podcast Something Was Wrong. It's about narcissists and people, con men, and you know the people you think you know, but you don't really know. Uh, narcissists are scary. If you've never met one, the people that can just lie with abandon about everything, every little small thing, and convince you of it as some sort of game. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, check it out. It's a real good podcast. As always, uh, join me on Repod, the app, after this show to talk about uh, any of these stories that I that I mentioned. We could discuss Hunter Biden's laptop some more if you want. Um, but, hey, weird show. And it's over. And the week is over. And it, we should celebrate that. Every week you should celebrate that. Congratulations, we made it through another week, that sort of thing. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, it is Friday, and that means we gotta, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.